If you and I know the Lord today, there's within us a deep heart cry to know him more and to experience the reality of his presence in a deeper way. We were created for fellowship with God and and we will not know true purpose in life until we're experiencing that fellowship. True fellowship and intimacy with God, however, is something that seems often to elude us. And the question we need to ask ourselves is this, if, if we were created for God and for fellowship with Him, then what keeps us from that experience? How can we know what we were created to experience? Well, James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10 speaks directly to this issue. And here in this passage, James shares seven principles for deeper intimacy with God. It's often our temptation as we think about such things to to think that there must be some hidden secret for a closer walk with God. But the principles that James shares here are not new principles. They're not hidden from us. These principles have been with us from the very beginning of time. In fact, God wants to fellowship with us and has made it abundantly clear how we can experience this intimacy with him. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we'll examine what James has to teach us about drawing near to God. Listen to what James tells us in James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, before breaking this passage down, let's just take a moment here to examine the context of the chapter, chapter 4 of James. James opens his chapter by addressing the problem of sinful human passions and desires. Listen to what he says in James 4 and verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, he asks. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. There is within each and every one of us a a lust and a passion and and desires. And and those passions and desires and and lusts sometimes are so strong that, that we will fight, we will murder, we will covet and quarrel to obtain what our heart cries out for. Our hearts are longing for meaning and purpose, and that longing for purpose is so strong that we will overcome all obstacles in our path to find that purpose. The problem, however, is that not everything we pursue will actually satisfy this passion within us. 
many of the passions we pursue leave us empty and broken in the end. And because we were created for God, nothing but God will fill this void in our hearts. Our pursuit of worldly passions and possessions only finds us, uh, keeps us rather from, from finding our, our true purpose in the, in the Lord. In fact, James goes on in verse 4 of James chapter 4 to say this, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, this world is a wonderful gift of God to us. And who can see the beauty that surrounds us and not lift up our hearts in, in wonder for the Creator who gave this, all of this for us to enjoy? Who can look up into the vastness of the sky and, and see the stars in the night and, and not find their hearts one, wondering at the greatness of their, their Creator? I often find myself amazed at the technology that is available to us in our day and wonder how it's all possible. But I was listening the other day to a documentary, and and in this documentary, they estimated that it would take a supercomputer 40 minutes just to replicate one second of the human brain activity. That, of course, is just one second in the life of one person. What would it take to replicate the daily activities of this world, across this world, every human being across this world? We stand at awe at, at, the, at human achievement. We, we fill ourselves with the pleasures of this world. We delight in the gifts, but sometimes we fail to seek the giver. We content ourselves with the world and the awesomeness of the world around us when there is something of even greater and more infinitely greater value available to us. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This places us before an important decision in life. Shall we choose the world or shall we choose the Savior? Because we cannot serve both. Now, what is particularly striking here in James chapter 4 is what we read in verse 5 as we look at the context here. Verse 5 says this, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. While there is ample reason to question our heart's allegiance. There is no such question when it comes to the heart of God. James tells us that God yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. His heart is for us. He longs for fellowship with us. He is jealous of all the things that will take up our attention and focus and take it away from him. His heart breaks when he finds, when we find more pleasure in the gifts he gives than we do in him. 
He grieves when we fill our hearts with the sinful passions of this world, but find no room for him. He sent his son to die so that we could be reconciled to him and know forgiveness and intimacy with him. God jealously yearns for us. Now consider this longing of God for us for a moment. Psalm 19 and verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The psalmist tells us that heavens themselves declare God's glory, and the skies around us proclaim the work of his hands. Now, who hears this declaration if it's not us as human beings? To whom is is God declaring his glory? And to whom is God proclaiming the works of his hands? Aren't we the ones who hear this declaration when we look up into the night sky? Of all of creation, we're the ones who to whom God is revealing himself. Consider the vastness of the creation that that God has created. With our telescopes, we've not yet seen the outer limits of this creation. There is more to see than we could ever possibly see in a lifetime. This vastness screams at us. Do the ants in the grass concern themselves about the greatness of God and the vastness of the universe? Do the cows in the field, are they moved by the the intensity or the immensity rather of the, the universe? Yet the psalmist tells us that heaven proclaims the glory of God and every message has a receiver. And to whom is God making this proclamation if it is not to us? God created this vast universe to proclaim his glory to you and to me. Consider also what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. For all things were created through him and for him. The apostle tells us here that heavens and earth and everything in them were created by God. But notice something else that Paul tells us that not only were all of these things created by God, but they were also created for God. Now, the question we ask ourselves is this. What possible use does God have for a mountain or a star? What possible use does God have for a flower or a tree? God is complete and perfect in himself. He does not need the sun to fulfill any unfulfilled need in his heart. The heavens and the earth, however, were created to proclaim his glory. And this was so that we could hear him and recognize his worth. They are God's revelation of himself to humankind. It is the heart of God to reveal himself to us and the vastness of the universe and the vastness of this creation is his invitation to you and to me to know him.
Listen to the words of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Throughout the story of creation, we read that God created the animals, the insects, the bird, the vegetation, after or according to their own kind. That phrase, according to their kind, is repeated over and over again in the creation of the earth. And the phrase shows us that each of these uh, elements of creation were unique to to themselves. The phrase, according to its kind, however, is not used when it comes to the creation of man and woman. Instead, When God created man and woman, he did not create them after their own kind, but he created them, according to the passage, in his image. And this phrase, in his image, only applies to human beings in the creation account. And while all creation reflects something of the image of God, only human beings were said to be created in his image. And part of that image is found in the spirit God gave to human beings. We are not just physical beings, but we are spiritual beings as well. And as spiritual beings, we have the ability to commune with God. God created us in such a way that we could speak, that he could speak with to our spirit and fellowship with us. This is unique to human beings. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says this, For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Notice how Paul speaks here about the Spirit of God bearing witness or speaking with our spirit to remind us that we are his children. God created us with a spirit so that he could commune with us and fellowship with us, for he himself is spirit. God created us for fellowship with him. And this is unique to human beings. This is not a capacity that is found in animals nor any other part of God's creation. We were created with a purpose. We were created with a spirit to have fellowship with God. From the very beginning of time, it was the intention of God to create a people with whom he could fellowship. He created man and woman with a spirit that was able to commune with him. And this was unique to humankind and not given to any other creature that God created. This spirit 
was part of what it meant to be created in the image or in the likeness of God. That spirit would continue and will continue to live on even after this body is dead and it will go to commune with God. God communicated with this, this spirit, with the spirit of humankind through his creation, revealing his, his glory and, and his beauty to that spirit. And somehow, as we look up and, and see the awesomeness of the stars in the night sky, something moves within us. The very spirit of man that God has placed within us is moved to think of the creator and the vastness and the immensity of this creator. And he continued to speak to human beings and to the spirit of human beings through the prophets and the priests of the Old Testament, revealing his heart and his purpose to them. And he continues to speak even more loudly today through his own son, whom he sent to die for our sins and to bring us into fellowship with him. He, he declares to us his desire that, that we would be with him forever and, and reminds us that even now he is preparing a mansion for those who know him in glory where they will be with him forever and fellowship eternally with him who among us feels worthy to enter into the presence of such a god who among us can understand why he would desire to fellowship with us why he would create us with this potential while we may never fully understand the question why there is one thing for sure that God spared no expense to communicate his heart to us. The heavens and the earth declare his glory and his passion for us to know him. God created us especially so that, that we could know and fellowship with him because we have been created in him, his image. God sent his son to die so that all the hindrances to fellowship could be removed. We may not understand why God does this, but can at least we see the passion of God for fellowship with us? As we embark on this study of James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, we must begin at this point. God so passionately desires fellowship with us that he created us especially for this. He spares no expense to communicate his heart through the created universe. He willingly sacrificed his own son so that sin would not stand between us. He placed his Holy Spirit in us to teach us moment by moment, day by day, what it means to fellowship with God. Can you see his passion? Can, can you hear that call to, to fellowship with him? Can you understand something of the jealous yearning of God? Fellowship and intimacy with God is not only possible, but it is the great passion of God for us. Let's not miss out on this opportunity here and now. Let's settle this now in our lives. Let's not settle for the world and its attractions when we can experience true fellowship with the Creator. May God give to us just a heart that has a jealous longing, even as He has for us, a jealous longing to know Him, to experience Him. 
And may God stir up our hearts to seek after him until we have found him and know this incredible intimacy and fellowship with our creator. This is why we were created.